2: Here's a message from friends of the show.
3: What up, Nerd Nation? Steve
2: here from the Dads with Nerdy Ambitions podcast, or DNA for short, your go to podcast for all things nerd culture. You want to know fun facts about the latest movies? Done. Interested in a new hobby? We've got you. Have questions and want to hear from the experts? Say no more. Join me and my crew every week to hear about our latest takes on everything nerdy and go on a few tangents on the Dads with Nerdy Ambitions podcast, where we know it's not just a hobby,
1: it's hereditary.
2: Welcome everybody to today's episode. So we're really excited to go ahead and have a longtime friend of Lewanika and, and mine in studio today to go ahead and talk about his latest game. I'm gonna be hitting Kickstarter any minute now. but before we get into that Mr. Miller, Mr. Myers, good evening. it's been a while since we've been behind the microphone here. it's nice to uh, nice to be back in the, nice to be back in the shop here. How are y'all doing yeah. today? I'm doing pretty well. Have had a good week, a busy week, got a lot accomplished.
0: Had a fantastic role playing experience on Sunday. We had one of the, one of the live streams I'm in, Old Ways to Spiro. Great adventure that night. Good fight against the basilisk at low levels. It was brutal. It was awesome. I thought I was gonna die and survive and <laughs> All the things. the best kind, yeah. Awesome. And so when we got done, that was a milestone for the group. We got to level up, and I'm ready for the next piece. I figured out what I'm going to be doing with the character for the next few levels, and I'm just – it was a great role-playing experience. And, yeah, coming off of that, going into the week and getting ready for this interview was just really good, and I'm really looking forward. Yes.
2: Excellent. Excellent. How about you, Mr. Myers? How are things? So you're back in Connecticut again after being on the road down around the D.C. area, right? So how are things back up in Connecticut?
1: Yeah, we went down to visit my sister in Maryland and hung out in D.C. But we're back up here now for a couple of more weeks before we roll southward again. We're camping at Trish's parents' house, which is a good comfortable spot for us while we're in New England. It's our home-based spot. Um, And we got some good role-playing action in this weekend, too, right at the beginning On Friday night, we had our first – well, second, counting session zero, but first session of Poke Around Foundry and Kick the Tires – as we explored our f- Savage Worlds that Marty's running. Ooh. Um, okay. First Savage Worlds game, got an idea. Ran a mo- we ran at least one combat, kicked around, Foundry's controls, did some exploration and light role play just to introduce ourselves to the new tool and the system. Because using playing cards for initiative order, it's different, but I like it. And I'm looking forward to learning that system. Should be a good time. Nice,
2: excellent. Yeah. I, I do not have a hot game session story for y'all today, but I am really looking forward to to running my first session of Star Trek Adventures. Uh, that'll be next weekend with our Patreons. Very excited for that. I've been I've been working on on how my episode is going to go here,
1: and then yeah, is, I, I went to Maryland and came back, and Star Trek Adventures exploded from <laughs> it, it Lee really Wanika's did, yeah. small project yeah. to now we're running a multi-storyteller know, extravaganza.
2: It, it is crazy. He's a, he's quite persuasive in that, but uh, even beyond that, now. Glenn and I also know that you have been like super busy. It looks like you, you handed the last of the content for our Kickstarter book. I've done the first sample layout. We're getting ready to go ahead and do final art on that. So right. by the time this episode comes out, our Kickstarter book should be in the hands of the people that backed it. So I'm not sure who's more excited about that, them or us. And that is a perfect segue, actually, to tonight's guest, who is actually one of the editors on that book. But that's not what we're going to be talking to him tonight necessarily about. But everyone out there, I want to introduce you to Josh Heath. Josh, welcome to Tabletop Journeys. How are you doing tonight?
3: I'm doing great. I'm really excited to be here. It's just it's good to talk to people I know, even though it's been a little while since we've seen each other in person. (laughs) It has been Um, a hot minute, yeah. And I always like to talk about games. And since we're talking about Star Trek Adventures, uh, that is probably my top RPG at the moment. It is. I have loved it every game of it i have played regardless of the storyteller and it is just such a good game such a well-designed system
1: we've got an awesome patreon multiple storyteller same crew concept going on now you want to jump on board on our patreon you can get in on that game (laughs) (laughs) i
3: am super tempted i do not have the time for it but i'm super tempted
1: i gotta pitch when i can pitch absolutely
0: absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) oh man yeah you're not wrong the game is so fun and wow does it not hit all the bells and whistles that we were working on years ago with vampire the masquerade and everything else that we did in our college years and such like just so well done
3: It just emulates Star Trek so well. Every time I sit down and play, I'm like, I feel like I've just experienced a Star Trek episode. And it's just, I can't speak to how bizarre that feels for them to get the genre just perfect. I will say the way that I'm, the system is written. I'm not trying to sell Modiphius books right now. No, I mean, <laughs> we do it money, right? We're,
1: we're featuring this play, so you're selling for us, too. Yeah. We'll make sure you yeah. get an extra check in the mail. I, I, I there are sense. no checks. There are yeah. no checks. Yeah. We get no checks yeah, yeah. either. That's fair. Sorry. That's
2: yeah. fair. Uh, I, I <laughs>
1: can honestly say
0: that having played FASA and having played Last Unicorn and having played Decipher, which are not bad games, at least. The latter of the two, it was FASA's got a nice spot in my heart because of what it was and its history. But it is just one of those things that is really just, you're right. It is the fact that it emulates the shows so perfectly.
2: As much as I would love to go ahead and keep talking about Star Trek Adventures, because I feel like we could plumb the depths of that for quite a while here, we are here tonight to go ahead and talk about your latest game, Josh. I say latest game because you've written about 17,006 over the last couple of years that I know of. But we're here tonight to go ahead and talk about your latest project, Army Men, which is going to be coming to Kickstarter around the end of April here. Tell us about Army Men before we get into our rounds of questions here. What's the premise and what's the the game about?
3: Sure. So imagine you are... A kid and you're playing with cheap dollar store plastic army men, right? Now imagine those army men are actually intelligent beings. Humanity doesn't exist. So (laughs) you, the player, you're just off somewhere and they are fighting against all of the other cheap dollar store monsters, adversaries that you might collect from those plastic bags of random toys, right? That is The world of army men it is a world where these plastic people for whatever reason exist as living beings they move around and they are in this war with these creatures that are bizarre and larger than they are and certainly not to scale of anything that we would consider normal animals and that's the pitch right you're playing army men as if they are living breathing beings who are still made out of plastic
2: it's stinking amazing. Nice. <laughs> Especially Assuming, that it yeah.
3: incorporates, that it even goes beyond army men when
1: you describe it. It could be, as you said, the big plastic bag of toys. That wasn't just army men. You could buy a bag of crocodiles. You could buy a, gra- a bag of dinosaurs. And they're all the different scales. Yeah. Your Tyrannosaurus is the same height as your something yep. that's supposed to be a lot
2: bigger. As a horse. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>? But once <laughs> you
1: set out your army men, anything goes, man. They could be fighting a Tonka truck one day. Yeah. You never know. And I love that. Oh, man.
2: That's <laughs> yeah. So many different ideas. Yeah. As soon as you, as soon as You sent me the message on Facebook saying, "Hey, do you want to go ahead and talk about my latest game, Army Men?" I'm like, "I haven't even read the rules. I don't care." Yes, I do. So I I immediately thought
0: about that early '90s toy sol—was it toy soldiers? Where the monsters ended up being the good guys and the toy soldier guys. And I'm screwing up the name of the movie right now. Toy soldiers. It was toy soldiers. soldiers. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. 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 it it was toy soldiers. Um, It was awesome, awesome. I love that movie absolutely loved that movie. I loved the little twist they put on it, where the monsters were the good guys and the whole bit. They were the honorable ones. I thought that was right. a, a beautiful twist. And all the, like all I wanted whenever I watched the movie, the, all the Toy Story movies, was I just wanted those army guys in their own little uh, Disney TV half-hour shows. Like I could watch them get into all kinds of hijinks and whatnot. And yeah, yeah. Uh, Absolutely, all in. Push yep. the chips. Let's get playing. <laughs>
2: yeah, <laughs> I love it. All right, gentlemen. Then I think that means it's uh, it's initiative time. So let's uh, let us roll. See here. I'm going to go with the uh, the army green die tonight. That's nice. appropriate. Nice. That is uh, that's an 18 for me. So I uh, this is going to be the inaugural
0: roll of my brand new Star Trek from the uh, Kirk Tunic color green set. Roll it. Uh, okay. r-
1: remember, we put a cork in Star Trek.
0: We did, but I'm going to say it anyway. That's a 17. Oh,
1: so
2: close and yet so far.
0: I've got a 12. uh, Yeah.
1: You got a 12, Glenn? I've got a 12. Yeah, I clicked the button on my nice digital dice of no color. (laughs)
2: <laughs> See, and unusually with a 12, like, there are some rounds that a 12 would go first by like, my own tonight. Right. So that means I, I get the first question here. And so the first question I want to ask is, for folks that don't know you somehow, Josh, what was your RPG journey? And I know that this, this is only an hour-long show, and so I know you've got bonafides, like you can't even believe. But Origin talk to us story. about how you Excellent. got into role-playing mm-hmm. games and specifically how you got into content creation. Sure. His bona fides have bona fides.
3: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm going to try and do this quickly, but I got started in role-playing by playing Robotech, actually. That was my first tabletop RPG. I did um, not know that. Which was weird. It's not the normal direction, right? I played d uh-huh. after that. The Red Box set was what I played after playing some Robotech. And then I got into LARP. Like Almost right away after that, I got into Vampire LARP when I was 15, and I did that. I did LARPing for eight or nine years. That was pretty much the only thing I did while I occasionally played Dungeons and & Dragons and tabletop World of Darkness games. It was World of Darkness LARP, and it was like, wow, I have no other life other than this Literally ran off the stage at my high school graduation to go run a LARP in Maine, actually, and then moved to Maine after that to continue LARPing was the whole reason I did that. And then I went in the army and I played some RPGs while I was in. I actually won an award while I was deployed for running Dungeons and Dragons for people, which is just a ridiculous thing to say. I'm not saying that to brag. I think it's bizarre, but I'm also not upset about
0: Yeah. Hey, there are worse things to get awards for and I guarantee you <laughs> as a vet also, had I been serving with you, you I'd have been at your table.
3: Absolutely. <laughs> Without a doubt. <laughs> yep. So, I got out of the army and I went to school, whole, whole plan was to go work for the UN and this ties into gaming. In my last semester of grad school, I realized I didn't want to work for the UN anymore and instead, I wanted to do something that merged my two loves and that was the work that I had been doing in ethnic conflict and identity as my degree work and role-playing games. So I started working on a program called Reach Out Role-Playing Games, which was a intercultural dialogue program using tabletop RPGs, still is, I'm still working on it. And in that, I got started working in the industry doing community content, doing small indie press stuff, small D20 projects as a way of building a network of people to help me sell this reach out role-playing games, which I call Roar Pig, just because that's what the acronym looks like and it's fun to say. So Roar Pig for me <laughs> is all what all of this 150 some odd projects that I've worked on over the last six years is about, is just continuing to work on developing that while doing other stuff that I'm like, oh, wow, this would be fun to write for, and people keep paying me to do. Army Man is a project that I did not write. I I do have to say that up front. It was written by Neil Litherland with my development support insofar as that I helped him get it full, get it nearly complete. I think we're at like 98%, if you'd ask me of what it is right now. And that's the sort of work that I've been doing through High Level Games is helping small creators take their games and get them out to market as well. And when Neil pitched this to me, he initially pitched it to me saying, dude, I've got this cool game. I'm selling it to these other people. I just wanted you to know. And I was like, I am upset that you are selling this to another company. But that deal fell through. And two years later, he came to me and said, I've still got Army Men. Do you want it? And I said, of course. Because Hmm. the second he told me about the concept, I said, this is the best RPG idea I can... think of since Star Trek Adventures.
2: Yeah. Excellent. (laughs) That's amazing. I love that. I absolutely love that. All right, Mr. Miller.
0: So knowing that this is written by Neil, that actually alters what was going to be my second question, but I will alter it this way. I know that you're a vet. I'm a vet. As I was reading through the book, there are some very specific things in this book that only vets will get. I was actually talking about it with my wife this evening, and I mentioned the fact that unless you watched The Unit, the show on CBS, there are terms in this book that no other television show or movie that I know of actually talks about and it's not in every episode of the unit it's in those really weird points when people are getting up to go get coffee or whatever in the unit that mm-hmm. some of these things will come up will come out and i think that's absolutely amazing you just don't hear some of these terms unless you've been in and i know i know that you've been in i know i've been in what did Neil have a military background? Was he a veteran so as well? So Neil is
3: not a veteran. He does not have a direct military background. He did a lot of research, and I did kick in a couple of things, but he came out with a lot of this on his own. And I, w- I looked I at the same reaction. I went, dude, how did you get this so right?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, I, lit- I'm going through and I'm like, okay, I almost can envision the page in the FM-34 that came from. Just talk. I'm going to uh, a couple of the terms that come out like this one is more out in the world, but target rich environment. Great ability, by the way. That's something that said almost hourly in the units I've been. <laughs> yes, in, right. Yep. And it didn't matter if they were talking about who you might have the potential to meet when you're going out that night or whatever. It's just a phrase that gets used in every possible way that it probably shouldn't be used. Uh, it's just th- that use the ability. <laughs> iron sights, like. Like these are things that just don't get said. Often, and I absolutely dig where this was all coming from, and there are so many more. I could go for hours about it, but yeah, that that really – to know that somebody who does not have that background did the work and did the research, that elevates the game even that much further for me because it's one thing if a vet says, I'm going to sit down here and talk about it. All the guys in my unit, if we put our heads together, we could come up with some of these terms. They're not all that game mind to put a game together like this either, But the terms could come from that group. But the fact that this was researched by a non-vet shows a high level of respect for the work and the life that we have lived. And that's just amazing.
3: A hundred percent. I got to say it was part of what I was already sold, but it's what made me do it. Right. When I read through this and I went, holy cow, I could as silly as these little plastic people are, I could see these people sitting around having a conversation and it just feeling like a real shoot the shit moment that you would have while you're in the army sitting around a burn barrel, right? I can picture so much of this. It's, it's really good. It's really impressive. Like the quality of just the fiction, but also all of the meta game elements. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. You said yourself that when you were reading this book, Josh, that you were like, this is the next best thing since Star Trek Adventures, which we've obviously already touted to the stars and back throughout this episode. We're not going to go down that rabbit hole or row ro- road again. You obviously think it's pretty special. Based on what I've read, so do I'm going to say that up front. I think it's really encapsulates a lot of that childhood fun that could be army men but also leaves room for the gritty battle of battle, if you want to go, whichever way you want to go with it. So I definitely already have my own answers to the question I'm going to ask you. But my question is, Armument is based off of the 5ESRD-compatible rule system of the basic D20 game system. And aside from, obviously, the main the world's oldest role-playing game or largest role-playing game that spawned the original 5e. There's a lot of there's a lot of other games that have been built off of that platform. Project Black Flag is being built off of it right now, and a lot of those have been really great games. Just the fact that it's based off of the D20 system, I think, is already a selling point for some folks because they're like, okay, this is going to be pretty familiar. I already know... Most of the mechanics, besides whatever, needs to be tweaked or adjusted to fit the world and the setting. It's one of the great things about a familiar game system. The challenge with that, though, is the game you design really needs to stand out. So to you, what makes Army Men special? What makes it shine? What makes it the next D20 system
3: that our listeners should pick up to try out? Yeah, I think this is a good question. The thing that really blew me away was how it re-envisioned the basics of the D20 system. It, the biggest problem with D and D is whenever you put guns into it, everything breaks, and I think all gamers can agree with that, right? So when I dug into this and started reading through it, at no point did I feel like guns have broken this system. Instead, I thought, "Wow, firearms." artillery, tactical combat has been developed in such a way that it enhances everything that D20 already does naturally in that tactical. We know the origins of D&D. It was a tactical miniatures game to begin with. This game just takes that a step farther and says, what if we made it slightly more tactical, slightly more reflective of real combat, slightly more modern but without overburdening it with any of those things right so when i was reading things like the the artillerist and that's not the right term and for some reason i can't remember off top of my head grenadier um, the grenadier yeah i was like this works mechanically this works and i can see this running at a table and it doesn't it doesn't bog down right it doesn't drag you in for three hours while you're playing through a combat. I did some tests with it and I'm like, this is as light even in higher levels as about third or fourth level D and D is, which is usually pretty quick, right? It's when you get up into those higher levels that it bogs real far down. I never felt like that when I was playing out some of the combats with this system. And that to me was, it was like this, it's taking D 20 and getting it right, getting those, those tactical elements to help you tell the story you want to tell with your army men. And then it's giving you a cool world that's saying, cool, now you've got these plastic people. What sorts of things do they deal with when they're just being people as well as being soldiers in these armies? And it's just, I don't know, to me that, that balance, getting the mechanics right, the, getting the tactical combat, right. And then being able to open all of this storytelling potential, it again, it just sold it for me.
0: I love that answer. And I love the opening when it talked about you can – make this as silly game as when you were kids and you set them up in the dirt and you watched your dog run through and knock a bunch of them over, or you put on the garden hose to to wash them out halfway or what have you, or the, the driveway was the actual river that they had to cross and all that, all those kinds of things. Or it can be that much more gritty game. I love the fact that there's this, this bandwidth of games that you can play anything in between that works and it all works and i love the tweaks you did to the 5e yeah. to the 5e system specifically relating to healing where the long rest doesn't give you all your health back the long rest merely allows you to roll your total hit dice back so you are not likely to get a hundred percent health without the medical stuff and some of the rules surrounding the medic and the way the medical healing works just absolute oh, yeah.
1: brilliant. So Don't like not go at other people's possibly snaking other people's questions in your rebuttal. <laughs> I'm only teasing, my friend. Yeah, that yeah. was it, it was yeah, excellent yeah. commentary. I just had to. But be yeah, those the are the things
0: that I picked up on that I thought yeah. really reflect what you're talking about. Wow, it just elevates and does these things really well. And yeah. I just really wanted to make sure the audience heard about just an inkling of what some of these things are, so they want to peel through these pages like we've had the opportunity to do and some see how. Some of the changes that are.
1: were made to the that. D20 system are clutch for the game that yeah. they've created. Absolutely. Like,
0: like you've got material that I will homebrew yeah. specifically surrounding healing, by the way, mm-hmm. you <laughs> actually have one
1: thing in there that's almost verbatim for one of the things in the apothecary feat.
2: In the upcoming book, yeah, yeah or, you got that too. Anti-toxin. Yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> it was written before I saw that. I will. Oh no, clearly I one hundred
1: percent know that. I could tell just yeah. by the fact that somebody yeah. else wrote it. In the, it was, yeah, yeah, no yeah. worries. Yeah, yeah. That, I just found yeah, that, was that, that was entertaining. Good. I'm like great minds, See, man. Like, we're all it's, it's like when calculus was theories. developed,
2: right? So yep, two yeah. genius people coming up with the same rule at the same time in completely separate environments. No worries. Yeah, but totally agree. The tactical work that was done in this game, we've talked a lot about how not only does D and D not too tactical combat very well, but also like games like rifts and games like other things that really did it much better, but were too mathematical and too crunchy to bring in. It's a really hard it's really hard to marry those. But this was done pretty gracefully, I thought. I love the game anyway.
1: It's one of my favorite worlds to play in because I can do anything in Rifts. Yeah. Including ignore the rules and make it up as I go. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly.
2: (laughs) All right, gentlemen, round two, dice to the ready. Let's
1: see. That's a pretty good round of questions, Jones.
2: That was a, that was a good round, yeah. That is a 14. twelve for me. Oh, all right, Fourteen for Glenn.
1: I'll be rolling at disadvantage
2: next round. Ooh, natural <laughs> one for Liuanico. That's right. the
1: first. To be, Hi, fair,
0: at, to be fair, at the very least, it's a Starfleet Delta.
3: There you go. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> right.
0: Why they put that as the one and not the 20, I don't know. I think that was a missed opportunity.
3: Because the one is the, you're rolling low, so they want you to oh, get the Star right. Trek right. roll. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. that,
2: that's an excellent yep. point. Yep. That doesn't count as your question, the loony. I don't
1: <laughs> my favorite change, my favorite addition, and especially in terms of creating an army combat modern combat style combat scenario was the addition of the morale system. Yes, I think that's something that it may not always be appropriate in D&D having something like it in your or any other role-playing game you're playing, having something of it in the back of your mind, something for where someone's mental state's going to stand is a fantastic thing and having it like laid out so that if you take enough hits or you take enough, whether they're physical or emotional, your morale is dropping and it's affecting your ability and your conditions. You're going to be more familiar with it than I am based on my one read. I'm going to say all of that and then ask a more general question. Could you tell our listeners about the morale system, how it works in terms of what happens to you as you lose morale? And how many morale checks can a player expect to be making in the course of a session?
3: Yeah, morale is one of the systems that Neil created. And when I saw it, I actually had to read through it a couple of times because I was like, does this work? Right. Is this doing what we want it to do as a system? And I'll be honest, I think it does. But it's one of those things that I actually really look forward to people reading it a couple of times to understand it, which usually in a system you want to have people read it once and be like, I get this, roll. But I think the way morale is is designed as this sort of wisdom saving throw, right? It's a fear-based wisdom save that you have to make that can be impacted by other conditions that happen around you. For example, if you're ambushed, you would have to make a morale check and that is That is a different DC than if you were outnumbered by a a group of adversaries, right? We use the term adversary in a really general way. It can be the monsters that are in the system, the Vespoids, or it might be other plastics, right? Other army men that you are in combat against. But this system is... It's a better version of the insanity system from Call of Cthulhu, which I, as much as I like the world of Call of Cthulhu, I think the system's terrible. And I will tell everyone (laughs) that all day long. Such a great description. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) But the morale system is effectively, you've got four stages, neutral, demoralized, frightened, and panic. And as you go along that, it becomes a greater burden. And i've got to be honest as a as a vet who's worked with a lot of veterans with like post-traumatic stress and things like that i look at this and i go this is this you could deepen this system also but this is a great way of reflecting bullets are flying and you're taking action and you're trying not to lose it it just does a very good job of that with feeling d20 ish like it doesn't have to be more than a mechanical thing that you're dealing with. Yeah, it shouldn't um, be too heavy. Unless or you heavy-handed. want to. But you can go there. And I think it, it lends itself to being, again, we talked about that, either a real deep, gritty game or... Uh-huh, we're funny army men playing in, in, with plastic soldiers.
0: That perfect fodder or perfect discussion piece during your session zero. That's where you want to ask, hey, we're going to play army men. The GM is going to say, this is the kind of game I'm leaning towards. How's everybody else feel how deep do you want to get into these themes or do you want to stay on the um, on this end of that spectrum yeah. and you can decide to go there I've got gamers that game with me that would be not be willing to go into those th- those issues but I also play at tables where yeah let's go there let's, let, let's 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 clear our thoughts on some of these things and I will say oddly some of those are the vets they are <laughs> you know, yeah I'm ready to I'm ready to have that game and have that discussion but part of it is, They feel comfortable with who's doing it. It's not something being thrown at them by somebody Mm -hmm. who's not them. It's somebody who's with them. And so the care you take in the pre-discussion, the care you take during the event, and the care you take after that event has everything to do with whether or not you can even
3: bother to go there. Absolutely. And I'll just say, having worked adjacent to the therapeutic RPG space for a while, there are tools here that you could utilize to take something that's off the shelf and do some therapeutic work with it. I am not a therapist. I'm not a licensed therapist. You cannot take my advice as medical advice, but I know a bit about it as a civilian, as it were. I feel like someone who is licensed could get a lot out of it.
1: In our February showcase, we actually interviewed somebody who is in working on their master's degree at the moment in that feels theater. <laughs> therapy effectively and using ttrpgs for it absolutely 100 true and keeping it more in the game session and a little bit lighter i asked the same question when i read the morale system does it do what we're looking for and it does i would i'm going to give a suggestion though because i have one i would suggest though if you're going to give it a negative scale where the starting point is neutral shouldn't you be able to move above neutral all of the things in morale about how to make it go down are very descriptive but how to make it go up is more of a general description and you know, if we ha- if you counterpointed some key ways to increase morale especially ways that char- other characters could help impact somebody's morale maybe once you had the ability to make it a little bit more of a sliding scale of up and down you could carry each other in battle you know what if Lewanika gets a crit and that increases my morale and carries me on. So then you could have not four above, you shouldn't have four above four below, but maybe one or two heightened states of adrenaline and gung-ho fever, because you guys have been on a winning streak and that would make it even hotter, but you don't want to make it too heavy and too crunchy, but I like it as it is too.
3: Yeah. I think that's good advice. I'll certainly take it back, chat with Neil a little bit about it because I think we could do that real easy and that would be cool. I agree. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I thought there was something among the tactician information with that particular character class that they had some things that might impact that positively. I might've misread that or maybe it was just how I was intending to take some of what that character group does and use it to, to benefit. That's just how my mind goes is, Oh, that would be cool. I wonder if I could do that at the table just, and if it wasn't in the rules, it's asking the GM, Hey, how about if I did this, like I'm a tactician, I'm the leader in the situation or I'm the guy who's doing X, Y, and Z, How, what does that do to help us out? That kind of thing. But Yeah,
1: yeah. There, there were a couple of abilities throughout the casts, which was a great word for the classes because <laughs> they're cast <laughs> it really is. That, that could have impact morale among the psyops of combat medic and the tactician. I believe you're absolutely right. Yeah.
3: Yep. And the tactician, we haven't talked about the classes, but like the tactician is your bard, but also your noble leader, your your lieutenant um, that leads. Butterfly. <laughs> yeah. I was going to actually to them, <laughs> but they're the person who actually is good at that, like of actually motivating people and leading them. Like, I see, maybe the more like a good start in first class.
1: Yeah, I was
0: going to say, depending on your unit, nope. Yep. No shade, no shade. There,
3: are, yep.
0: <laughs> I've had a couple. I've had a couple good platoon leaders. <laughs> On that, once couple. you
1: throw, out, once you throw out the word butter bar, there's plenty of shade already been cast. <laughs> you <laughs> can't checking, say no shade after you just trot leaned actually, over a couple of like sycamores and shit
0: one of my absolute best platoon <laughs> leaders would have been happy to have been called a butter bar when he was a butter bar he actually got promoted while he was still our platoon leader at one point but he'd have been happy with that term he was fine with it but he was also before he went to ocs he was also a sergeant so yeah he'd been on our side so he came into it knowing
3: what he was doing mustangs get <laughs> it they get it
1: <laughs> yeah yeah
3: hey there travelers
1: Do you
2: want early access to all of our episodes? How about exclusive content, live broadcasts, and the chance to throw dice with your favorite hosts and fellow fans? You can do all that by signing up for our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash ttjourneys. But wait, there's more the next month you can get a free coffee mug for signing up at the adventurer level plus adventure level patreons automatically get complimentary copies of our latest book the traveler's guide to the multiverse available on dm's guild we love doing this show for y'all and your support helps us keep creating and producing great content for you we have tiers to fit any budget for a monthly commitment so join us today at www.patreon.com slash ttjourneys This is. I'm going to ask a question, and we talked about this at the beginning of the show here, and I wanted to get your thoughts on, I wanted to get in behind the screen a little bit and get into the writing process on how you handled this. One of the things that struck me when I was reading through it is that you have replaced, and in another really like genius renaming, you have taken the concept of race and species and made them resins, which I just, much like calling the classes casts, is just, it's cheeky and fun. The one thing that stood out to me, though, is that you all of the resin, these resin groups are color based, and I wanted to get from you two things. One, what was the process that you went through to make sure that was handled with sensitivity and in a, in an appropriate fashion? Because I know you've done a lot of work with like ethnic culture and identity, and with cultural inclusion and stuff like that. So, how was that kind of? How did you go through that process to make sure it was handled appropriately? And the follow up question to that is are were you at all concerned about putting statistical benefits on color and kind of the sort of criticism that that could potentially invite
3: i think both of those questions are great questions and i want to say i want to make it hotter by saying we also called the the alliance of nations the plastos confederacy and yep. i want i want to note that right we chose that but refused and will continue to refuse to just refer to it as the Confederacy. That will never happen. We know where some of these lines are, and we know where we're we're right on the edge of a couple of them. And Neil and I had long conversations about, and we may even still change it before we run it, about do we call these people a, a of these nations, a confederacy of nations, of these plastic people. Plastos confederacy as a term is not necessarily a problem, but what if players drop it and don't think about the implications of that, right? We're having these conversations still actively right now, and we'll want to have them with our community as we put this book out, right? Because if someone comes to this and says, I am I see this and I'm not comfortable with the way this is designed. We will take that back and really dig into it even more than we already have. Neil, myself, and a couple of other people pre-finalizing this to get it to Kickstarter, right? And finalize is a stupid word, but getting it to where it <laughs> is right now, right? Had, I think, something like 15 or 20 hours of conversations mm. about... Do we keep these colors, and do we keep these colors as effectively bioessentialist d esque things? I want to say part of our decision there was intentional to make people ask those questions about it. Because I see this game having the potential for getting people to think about just because I'm a tan soldier of this particular nation does that make me different than the yeah. greens and i hope the answer through working together through the fact that the these this confederacy of people this plastos confederacy of people have a joint enemy who is existentially at making them in the world ask these questions of Does Acrylica hate us? Does the United Polymeria, do the United Polymerians hate us just because of who we are? Or why have we, why did we start fighting to begin with? Because none of that is clarified in the text and we don't intend to ever clarify it. Why are these people at war? Why are they largely soldiers why, where are the civilians? Where is Barbie, for lack of a better word? There are civilians in this world. You can get civilian figures that are the same scale as your army men, right? But they're the minority. And if that's the case, why are we on a war footing constantly? How do we put hmm. aside the war? Hmm. I want to like really say, we looked at that and we said, w- we want people to ask these questions and tackle and rumble with it. And I'm not going to shy away in the text on Kickstarter or on in the book itself about it being a little bit on the edge where some people might not want to ask those questions or might think there are different ways of presenting the lineage or heritage elements that a few d20 systems are doing i support that and i think in places where you're not talking about plastic people you want to be a little bit more sensitive to that in this place we're doing it to stir a little bit of a conversation and inward reflection from people and i really think the game does that when you pull back a little bit from it To me, it's a lot like Pugmire. Pugmire is a game where you play dogs and cats, right? And as as dogs and cats, you can make these jokes about dogs and cats hating each other and fighting. And really, that's a a look at at ethnic conflict and differences and saying, really, are we different? How are we different? And building that conversation. So that's my thought. And I, I do honestly say that if we don't hit that mark when people see this, We will go back and we will adjust it until we do, but I really think we're either there or so close that I don't think anyone's going to not see the explicit metaphor that we're trying to get people to consider.
2: Very interesting. Very interesting.
3: Thank you.
0: Great answer. I know when I was looking at it and I was thinking about the specifically the resins and the various colors, because we've tackled with that on the show, we've tackled with this question a number of times. I actually, in the episode we just recorded on the Black Flag Project, I made the comment that at the very start of this show, when I was trying to Describe why I felt there were some things that needed to be tied to that ancestry, but other things that didn't. And I did it very poorly. Like, I will freely admit that I did that very poorly. But there was something about it that I thought needed to be discussed and needed to be brought up and held on to. And then I think that Black Flag did a fantastic and brilliant job. With how they broke that down in that there are minor elements that are tied but even at each stage in that character creation process there's always a choice that you get to make as well so the quote-unquote bio imperative or bio biological element is present as a reflection of reality but there's still that choice a reflection of reality as well. Uh, And I think they did a great job with that. And in this case, what I think you're doing is saying, we're not necessarily going to be reflective of those separate elements, but we are going to do is put it in such a way that it's like, now you got to talk about it. You have to see it and you have to talk about it. There's a lot of good merit to that process. In our effort to be a better society, we run the risk of missing some very important things. If we end up glossing over The challenging questions of our past, not so distant past of our present and our near future. If we're not faced with some of those difficult questions on a regular basis, we might not be asking them when it counts. So I think there's some great merit to that. And I really appreciate your take on that.
1: Thanks. What a great medium to be able to lay it across as army men just based on the resin that they're cast from are naturally of different colors. You have the deep green, you have all of those colors exist in army men. It's the way that they had to be described. And heck you could take it another level because if you happened to have too many army men of the same color, you could go with your mom's fingernail polish and colored helmets. <laughs> yeah. for different squads.
2: When, uh, when I was a kid, that's uh, my mom. When my brother and I would get Hot Wheels, mine were always the ones that had the little daub of, of fingernail polish on the bottom. That's how you could tell the difference between mine and my brother's. So that's a, that's an old throwback memory right there, Glenn.
0: That's a yeah. deep cut. Well, with
1: Army Men, you just yeah. paint the helmets. So they got the red yeah. helmet, they got the green helmet, they got the silver yeah. helmet. Yeah. I,
0: I seem to recall before I was buying T.A. Joe's, the, the, the swivel arm grip G.I. Joe's, and that, even that first uh, first generation uh, that didn't have swivel arms, before I was buying those, when I was getting the Army guys, in my neighborhood, three, four of us kids, we basically made a decision who was going to buy which colors of Army men at Bud's Red and White, a little five and dime nearby that we used to have to pass on the way to school. And low onto the kid who bought the wrong color of army men because once we all started playing and doing our whole thing and all of a sudden all of his would be gone because it was a known thing like our parents knew he's got the blue ones he's got the tan ones he's got the dark tan ones or what have you and and then for whatever reason my mom got me the bobo cowboy ones that like split in half and you get the put the little plastic <laughs> like caps on it and i'm like really really this kid's got grenades and parachutes and you're throwing me a dude with chaps and a six shooter thanks yeah. Yeah. nothing thanks. wrong with a cowboy now nah. you're thanks, playing man. a different game well, look i have I no you. i have no disagreement with cowboys and uh, actually when we were playing uh, with and with world cowboys, war ii one those
1: the pol the polish were still fielding cavalry. okay fair sometimes enough. it happens
0: yeah, fair enough fair enough I was trying to take Iwo Jima, and all I had was a six shooter. That was not going right. That was not going well
1: for me. And they performed well in World War II, by the way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. admirably. So anyway, all right.
2: All right, Lee it's finally up to you with your natural one there. Oh,
0: yes. So I want to go to something we also spoke about during our last recording session and we've talked about a few times is just the clarity of instructions during the game. I've talked about it a lot. And Josh, I think you and I have even had some discussions about about that and some of my personal challenges, ADHD challenges with reading rules and deciphering how they went. And one of the things that was very apparent to me is – as you're as I was going through the rules section towards the beginning of the book, was there were some fantastic examples of utilizing the rules. Now I recognize that a lot of this was definitely from the or at least based in what you find in the SRD, but it felt to me that this went into more specific and infinitely more clear examples of how to do these things and specifically i was looking at the examples on contested roles and ability checks i thought those examples were so good that i'm like were these examples ever in the in the uh, watsi's php were these examples in other things and i just missed it because i know that some of these were a lot more complex to explain to new players or even for me to grok totally other than I had a basis from 3.5, then how it's described in this book. Now on our show, we've talked a lot about if you want to bring in new players to a game, make the rules clear. Don't leave them with a lot of questions or at least give that GM that quick little sound bite. If someone says, how do I do a contested role? There was literally four sentences, Maybe five tops clearest example I can think of was what you have in this book. So that's a send up for you and Neil as far as how this came out and how it came across. But can you talk to me about the what had to be a conscious decision to clarify rules and provide really concrete examples for those of us who are neurodivergent? We thank you. We thank you. And one last bit before you answer. Whoever came up with quaffing a stein of ale, <laughs> absolute genius. Love the line. Nobody <laughs> has used quaff in a book, in, in a tabletop role-playing book that I've ever read before that I've noticed,
3: and it was brilliant use of the word. It, it absolutely is. I have to give that credit to the creators of the SRD because they wrote that line. Okay. But... The process of bringing in the what is now Creative Commons elements of the SRD into this game was fraught. <laughs> it was fraught because we decided to do that prior to the OGL fiasco that everyone is familiar with. Yep. We were in that process when that happened. And we almost threw this whole game out. I was it going to say, not bad. to interrupt
2: you, Josh, but I literally, my next question was going to be, how badly did you crap your pants when the OGL catastrophe
3: happened? <laughs> uh, that yes. Was yep. So, yep. please.
2: That's uh,
0: where this go, question go on. started, and I took it a different route just <laughs> yeah. to avoid the exact <laughs> question, but yeah.
3: So, we really, it was like, a however long that was of us going, do we scrap the game? Do we convert it to a different system? Do we just try to deal with whatever this OGL thing ends up being? All that time, Wallace, another game designer who I work with, they wrote a Necrobiotic and Rest in Pieces and some of the, oh shoot, it's a chicken game. What's it called? It's based on a comic book where chicken is outlawed. Anyway, if I can remember the name of it, it's amazing. It's a great comic, great game. But Mitchell... And I, and Neil was struggling to have time to finish the game for it to be an independent game that didn't require someone to have a PHP. <laughs> yeah. So Mitchell and I spent a lot of time going through the SRD and doing exactly what you mentioned, Leonica, and that is reading <laughs> the SRD, which is a 500 page monstrosity of a PDF and going, do we need this? Do we need this? Do we need this?
2: Hmm.
3: And every single section we would pull out and we didn't rewrite all of it, but we s- scanned through it. And I'm even finding a reference right now to an orc that has to come out of things that shouldn't be in this book, right? Things that should not be in here. And some of that was cutting entire sentences that were clearly a waste of words that just said the same thing or made it harder to understand that we're not essential to the rule. I'm not saying it's perfect. I know it isn't, but we really did take a lot of time to do exactly that and be like, how do we get the essential elements of D20 into this game in a way that lets us take full advantage of the creative commons for D, but make it better <laughs> and not, Rewrite it all, but make sure that what we had was the most useful elements.
2: Cool. All right, gents. I guess that brings us up to round three. And I'm looking at time, I think we have a, ra- a time for a full round here. So let's uh, back to the initiative and let's see. Maybe, uh, maybe Lee Winico will get the chance to go first at this time, although he is rolling at disadvantage after his natural one last round, just in case he forgot.
0: I did not forget. I'm on an 11.
2: Glenn, what do you got? Five... Five. All right. I have an 18 again. That means Glenn, you'll get to go ahead and ask the last question tonight, but I get the first question of round three. Josh, you had mentioned this at the top of the show and we have danced around a couple of times here, but Reach Out RPGs. It's a project that you started about intercultural dialogue throughout RPGs. Talk to us more about the work that you're doing with, our, with Reach Out RPGs. And that's definitely something I can see some of our listeners wanting to interact with. So how can they go ahead and get information about that?
3: Yeah. Anyone that wants to learn at least the most useful public information code can go to RORPG.com. Sorry, I had to make sure that it wasn't .org because I had a .org for a little bit, got rid of it. Yeah. Uh, but RORPG.com will get you to a description of what the method is, right? I'm still working on it. I'm still refining it and building it and deciding, do I write this into a thing or do I just do this with people? And I'm I'm not necessarily sure exactly what that's going to work out as, all of the elements of adventures and role-playing game products that I have created over the last several years incorporate elements of my thinking. There, for example, I produced a book called *The Sentence of the Three Sisters*, which is a *Vampire the Masquerade* book created for the Storytellers Vault. The main writer, Lisa Elwood, one of my really good friends, is a she's Native American. And she was brought on initially because I had a question about, hey, I want to make a bloodline of vampires that are mostly Native American people, and I want to get some of the language right. And she yelled at me, and she said, what you're asking is stupid, and here is how you could do it better.
2: <laughs> it's always great to go ahead and have friends that will give you honest feedback like yeah, that.
3: <laughs> the truth is, though, Josh, I didn't know her when, I, when she did that. Yeah. But that was oh, her thanks. response. And it's even I, better. S- I was like, I really, I really appreciate your response and I'd like to hire you as a consultant for my book. And so I started working with her as a consultant and I paid her for four or five hours and I said, do you want to just write this? And she's like, I've never written a role playing book in my life. And I was like, you're a writer, you're a journalist. You are an incredibly good writer. I will help you get the vampire stuff right write a story that you would be interested in seeing from a Native American perspective about what vampires in Vampire the Masquerade would look like if they were Native American, if they just came from the Native American kind of tradition. What would that look like? And she developed this entire story about these three sisters. The three sisters is also a reference to crops that Native American tribes planted Which is really clever that then she took these actual three sisters and this story about them interacting with a demon that turned them into a vampire, turned them all into vampires. Hmm. And to me, there's so much essential truth when someone is telling a story from their cultural perspective and saying, sure, I'm writing about these vampires and they, these vampires have all this vampire bullshit going on. (laughs) But this is a story that comes out of things that I don't think is drastically outrageous for a Native American culture to have come up with on their own. And all I was doing was going, yeah, Lisa, I think we should add in a reference to a tenebration here. And we should like add in a little bit of information about the Giovanni doing some stupid shit with dead people here. And she's like, (laughs) yeah, cool. And it, it made the project so much better. And it, I think, lets people tell these stories that are culturally informed and then ask themselves these questions. And in in Dark New England, which is the bigger book that this was all a part of, I did not shy away from the fact that my ancestors genocided Native Americans when they came to the Americas. And that is a thing that I have to wrestle with, right? And have to think about and have to look at colonial history and go, this occurred. I'm a Mayflower descendant. These are my people. What is the impact of that on my life and my storytelling and my story? And then how can I take this opportunity of working with this friendship that I've built and then help? her elevate her stories and her ability to do other things that she wants to do and just being a good friend and being like, you are a good creative person. Let me help you get your stuff out there. Is just an opportunity for that. And I know this is supposed to be about Roar pig and it is <laughs> in that this is the stuff that I am doing actively as well as finding these opportunities yeah. to say, here are cultural elements, but also here are just cool people that are marginalized right now who would like to write how do we find them get them an opportunity to get some mentoring and put something out i'm working on a project right now to do a native american fellowship program where we're trying to get up to 4 native american burgeoning rpg writers to go out there and and be mentored and put out their game their game doesn't have to be about anything native american But it's going to be informed by their cultural experience, regardless of if they write a a werewolf in space book, which there is a great indigenous comic book collection where there are werewolves in space. And I would love an RPG for that. I'm just pitching that to the world for it to exist. But that's my long winded answer. I don't actually know if it was an answer.
2: Oh well, that's absolutely that's a fantastic answer. And it even asked the question that I didn't ask that I normally ask our interviewees, which is uh, name one IP out there in the world that you want to make an RPG of but they came and dumped infinite money in your lap. And what's that IP? And werewolves in space is a fantastic answer. So yeah. That needs all. to you
1: be You didn't manifest. even know that question was coming. Nice job. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, exactly. yeah that was so, not
0: bad. That was not bad at all. Uh, all right, me go uh, what do you that rolls to me? Yeah, so looking through all the Various casts. And as I was going through them, I was thinking about my eight years in and the job I started with, the in my platoon, the job I ended up with. And then just because Army stuff, you end up doing two or three jobs every now and then. The short guy ends Mm -hmm. up as the saw gunner with his backup weapon being the 203 while having a PR 77 (laughs) on his back and driving the CO. And, (laughs) And so that was my experience. And I could see every single one of those things in the casts that you have and my question is with your particular military experience what is the cast that is just josh heath
3: yeah that's such a good question that's hard to answer so my army story real quick was I was like, Hey, I want to go into intelligence and I want to learn a language and I want to go f- work for the UN and put on a shiny blue helmet and do this whole thing. I've got this 10 year plan, make it happen for me, green mean machine. And I had a couple of credit issues and I had a couple of, of criminal things related to my driving record of all things. You live in
0: Maine, I'm with you.
3: Yep. Yep. <laughs> and in the interview process for my top secret clearance, the woman says to me, she's, I'm not approving your clearance so you qualify to be in intelligence i'm not approving your clearance because i cannot give you two waivers for these things and i said okay what can i do and she said go talk to that recruiter that recruiter told me you can be a mechanic for 2 years and then go into intelligence once you get your credit situation taken care of and i said okay mr recruiter i'll do that and this was 2006 so that was surge time in iraq And I signed that dotted line for two and a half years to be a mechanic to go to Korea. And I did. They actually kept their promise and got me there. And then I decided, because I met my wife, she was teaching English over in Korea. I said, Hey, if I do this whole thing, I'm gonna have to go to California for a while, blah, blah, blah. It'll be six or so years. And she's okay, I could do that. And I'm like, or I could just re-enlist and go to Germany and we can stay together and get married and so forth and so on. And she's like, do you want to do that? I was like, I'd rather do that. So the long answer is I have no idea. I don't think there's a mechanic really <laughs> in here in, in the way that I was because the crap the army had lying around was a heater mechanic, a decon apparatus, a shower machine mechanic. There was a specialization for my MOS for fixing washing machines. Those folks, my folks, are not in Army Men, and be lucky. Be lucky that you are not in Army Men (laughs) as those soldiers.
0: I really want to make that now. I I want to make that cast just for you. I'm not sure I know how to do that just yet, but I want to make that cast for you. You did such a great job of making me and all of my facets I think difficult to put into any one character because I did a lot of those things, but never Mm -hmm. got great at I was never great at any one of those except for the Grenadier piece. I'm a i am was a monster on the 203. But with the exception of that, you've covered all of my experience exceptionally well. So I want to make that for you. But that's a conversation for another
3: chat. We will consider it, yes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. hey, the game is Creative Commons, man. We can go ahead and put a supplement out if we want. No, I'm just,
3: I'm
2: just, yeah, yeah. So. All right, Glenn, bring us home, sir.
1: All right. I'll keep us light and I can't promise quick, but light for our final question. (laughs) Exploits. So Yes. I really dug y'all's take or reimagining of the feat system effectively from the SRD or 5e. And my favorite thing is that every class gets an exploit every other level, as opposed to fighters getting 37 and everybody else gets 4. I think that's fantastic. But Overall, my question then is just what was behind y'all's envisioning or re-envisioning of the feat system to turn
3: it into exploits and why exploits is a name? So I actually need to ask, you know, why he chose exploits because I don't know the answer to that. But I knew I do know the answer to why he wrote them was there's one feat in the SRD. And it's the grappling feet.
1: Oh, yeah. That's why you have to write them.
3: So he was like, shit. Okay. Do I need to rewrite these? And he did not initially send me the exploits. I, that was a third tier thing where he's like, oh yeah, I wrote those, man. Don't worry here. And gave me the whole system for them. Because initially I didn't have those. And I was like, okay, this is really cool, but there's nothing like feats. That really lets you define your particular individual one of the things that neil has told me a lot is he's i really want i really want classes to feel distinct yes but equally awesome and useful and interesting and that was his whole design philosophy for the exploits was going what sort of awesome, cool things do you do or would you do if you were playing Army Man where you're like, oh, my grenade guy jumps over, does a flip and throws a grenade up the guy's like back pocket. We'll say that. Wallet, as it were, exploits have, have those kinds of like, they're trying to get you there. Not like super over the top, but that's the feel, right? Of being like, this is a cool, special thing that's action oriented. That's Indiana Jones-esque. And I think... We have some thoughts, if this goes as bang as we want it to, of expanding out and doing some other supplements that tackle some other things, and an action-adventure thing, using this as a base is where we're going. And I think exploits are a hint to what some of that might look like.
1: Okay. All right.
3: Interesting. So an answer and a
1: teaser I like it. The, tease, I like
0: it. the teaser has been left <laughs> The fans are now it's like leaving he's done the this movie. before yeah the fans are now leaving the movie theater like the three that were like waiting at the back like ready to go because one of them's gotta go to the bathroom. the other one just wants to get in the car.
2: but they've seen that final end credit scene and oh, nice. <laughs> so nice. anyway. Josh, it was awesome having you on here tonight. Thanks so very much for joining us tonight. Absolutely. Cool. Uh, where can folks go to learn more about Army Men? Or you already mentioned the links for Roarpig. Where can they learn more about you? I and mean, like you said, you've written, worked on, what, 105 projects in the last few years or something like that?
3: If I counted it right recently, it's 147 as That's of like a couple That's- of weeks ago. And- I don't know how. I really don't know <laughs> how. And don't ask me how. But if you'd like to find any of the things that I've worked on, drive RPG, Googling or searching, I should say, for Josh Heath on there will bring up most things. And if you don't find everything with Josh Heath, put Joshua. For some reason, I did that on a bunch of books thinking it was the right thing. And then mm. I was like, no, go by the name you actually go by, Doofus.
2: I went with the classy name for a few. Yeah, yeah I yeah, see how it is. Yeah, bad yeah. idea.
3: And then if people want to, High Level Games is the company that I am part of, and highlevelgames.ca is our website. We are Canadian. I'm sorry. But there's. <laughs> Isn't it? I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, it is. I'm sorry, but I'm not the <laughs> Canadian partner in the c- company. So I can't get it right. But my business partner from Edmonton will say a boot correctly. So High Level Games is a big place. And then I'm on lots of different podcasts, including one about Trinity Continuum called Opcast, Arms Around the Trinity Continuum. So if people like Trinity and Aeon and Adventure and Aberrant and games like that, that's a, a podcast to check out.
2: Awesome. It was so awesome having you on here tonight, and we will make sure to go ahead and include the link to the Kickstarter, at least the uh, the link that allows folks to go ahead and sign up and be notified when it launches. should be launching right around the time that this episode comes out. I know that I'm really looking forward to slapping down my shackles to go ahead and grab a copy. Thanks once again. What do we have coming up here next week? Next week, we are continuing episode one of our Star Trek game with our patrons, Star Trek Preservations. Uh, we're still moving through the starter box set with our patrons at this point, and we're going to be having our episode with Al Spader from Mo Modif- Talking about uh, momentum and threat and virtues and some other kind of hardcore mechanics in the, uh, the Star Trek Adventure system. Really looking forward to having Al come on next week to go ahead and, uh, and talk through that. So that will be a good time. Anyway, once again, Josh Heath, thanks for joining us tonight. Thanks for talking about Army Man and about everything else. I, uh, sometimes interviews like this go in directions that I have no idea where they're going to go when we start. And I'm really glad we covered the, uh, the ground that we did tonight. That was a lot of fun. So,
1: yeah, it's a so, great conversation. And, Thank you.
2: Thanks yeah. again, Josh. Thanks for
0: always being there for as long as we've known each other and just being a part of the TTJ family because uh, you are and I yeah. really appreciate you. Your name is in one of
2: our books now, so yeah. that's it. Yeah. yeah, I mean,
0: uh, reach, your reach out when i needed you and very much <laughs> appreciated. it. So.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Absolutely.
2: All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. And like I said, we'll talk to you next week when we dive into more Star Trek content. So <clears throat> until then, we'll talk to you. Yeah. Until then, have a great week. Thanks, everybody. Good night, all.
1: Later.
0: Welcome back, travelers. In the days following the interview you just listened to, Josh Heath and the team behind Army Men made some changes to one of the names they spoke about during our conversation. As of the launch of the Army Men Kickstarter, the newly named Plastos Federation is ready for new recruits. We here at Tabletop Journeys love the new name and are ready to field some resin.
2: Thank you for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. Join us at www.ttjourneys.com where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content
1: that we publish beyond the podcast. You can also stay in touch by subscribing to our Twitter, Tumblr, or Instagram at ttjourneys. Joining our Facebook group, Tabletop Journeys or by sending an email directly to podcast at ttjourneys.com Our full episodes come out every week on Friday and every Tuesday features actual play and gameplay showcase episodes Looking for early access? You can support the show and get episodes before everyone else at www.patreon.com forward slash ttjourneys. Check it out today and see all the awesome benefits we bring to our supporters. Lastly, If you're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes,
0: Podchaser, Spotify, or Audible, you would really appreciate it if you would like and subscribe to the podcast on that platform. Thank you for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And we bid you fair tides, friends, for Legends Awaits.